Good evening, church family. My name is Chris Cole, and my wife and I lead the family ministry at Christ Community Church. And it is my uh, pleasure to share with you in our continuation in the Summer of Psalms here at Christ Community Church on Wednesday evenings. And the psalm I'm going to be teaching from this evening is Psalm 51. I've titled this message, um, The Burden of Sin and the Beauty of God. And I've titled it this because David gives us a portrait. He gives us a picture of when we weigh the burden of sin and we're able to confront our sin uh, truthfully and honestly. Um, we see a greater mercy and glory of God given to us in doing so. They go hand in hand. And, and Davis, David shows us um, how to do that through repentance and confession. And so we're going to be looking at Psalm uh, 51 today. This is a psalm of repentance and restoration. And um, perhaps you've asked yourself some questions, or maybe you've even been asked questions like, um, what does genuine repentance look like? Or has this person truly repented of their sin? Or how do I know if I've truly repented? Um, Perhaps you've asked those questions. Perhaps you're asking those questions. Well, David uh, answers these questions by giving us a portrait of what confession, forgiveness, and restoration looks like. But before we begin and read Psalm 51, uh, will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you through, for saving us through Jesus Christ, our Lord, um, through the preaching of your word. And Lord, uh, we ask that as we spend a few minutes this evening looking into your word in Psalm 51, that our hearts and minds would be humble before you, that we would be able to see from your word what you have for us, and that our hearts would be examined by your spirit, that we would come to you and we would be willing to come to you um, in newness of spirit and rightness of spirit to confess our sins. Um, and we know that you are faithful and just to forgive us, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, let me read Psalm 51. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. 
O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Um, and so a little bit of background on Psalm 51. It's a, probably a familiar psalm to you. Um, but as the uh, title of the psalm says, this is um, shortly after um, David had, um, well, after he was confronted, but uh, David had sinned. Um, he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and he murdered her husband Uriah who was off in battle, a battle that David should have been at, but he stayed behind. And, um, and so David was in sin, um, and he tried to hide his sin, uh, but God sent a prophet. He sent Nathan to him uh, to confront him on his sin. And uh, as, Dave, as we know in the account in 2 Samuel um, chapters 11 and 12, um, Nathan tells David the story, and with those famous words, you are the man confronts David in his sin. And David is convicted of his sin. He repents of his sin. Um, and he cries out to God uh, for mercy and forgiveness. And Psalm 51 is the psalm he wrote, um, like I said, shortly after that confrontation. And so uh, there are three main points. I've, I've broken this psalm into three sections, um, three main points. Um, if you're following along, if you're taking notes, uh, the, and this is really is a pattern that David gives us for um, confession and repentance um, and restoration. <clears throat> and the first is uh, a plea for mercy. We see a plea for mercy, and that's verses 1 through 6. And then we see a petition for renewal, and that's verses 7 to 12. And then we see a promise to reproduce. That's the last section, verses 13 to 19. But repentance always begins with a plea for mercy. And a uh, couple components here in the plea for mercy from David. We see at first it's a cry for help. When he's confronted in sin and convicted of sin, the only thing he can do is cry for help, to cry for mercy. After all, God's mercy is the sole basis on which we approach him uh, when we're convicted in sin, when we're found in sin. We know um, that the Lord is just, um, it's one of his attributes, but we dare not approach him on the basis of his justice. That would strike fear and that would cause us to hide. Uh, we know many of the Lord's attributes, his omniscience, his omnipotence, um, his wisdom, all these attributes are awesome and they're worthy of praise, but they don't draw us to him in repentance. His great mercy does, his mercy is what draws us um, to come to him and confess our sin. And that's what we see with B David at the beginning. He cries for mercy. And, and David would know this about the Lord, that the Lord is merciful because he would know his Bible. And um, we foresee uh, of mercy being mentioned in, ex in Exodus 33. This is when Moses went up uh, on Mount Sinai and he asked to see 
uh, the Lord's glory. And, and the Lord said, I, I can't show you my full glory. So he hides him in the cleft of the rock. And uh, the Lord says he will allow his goodness to pass before Moses. And then he says, and I will be gracious on whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. That's Exodus 33, 19. And so David would know his Torah. He would know um, the first five books of Moses. And so he would know that his God is merciful, that he can come to him in mercy. And I want you to notice the very first thing that we see, and it's in verse 1, in David's uh, plea to God for mercy. Um, we, he uses three different words. Um, the NASB would translate these words as graciousness, loving kindness, and compassion. And David must seek the Lord in his mercy because he has been convicted of and is bearing the weight of his sin. Um, and so he, he described the weight and the greatness of God's mercy. He uses these three words. And then likewise, uh, in verse 2, he uses uh, three words, or it's not likewise, but similarly, he uses three words to describe the weight of his sin. Um, the first word is the word sin. Uh, and again, we see this in, in verse 2. Um, and this is the general term um, that we use probably most common, most often. Um, and it simply means missing the mark, uh, missing uh, the standard which God sets, falling short of God's perfect standard. Um, the second word we see is transgression. Um, this refers to intentionally crossing a boundary. Um, this would, uh, this would uh, be an outright rebellious act knowing that a boundary has been set and intention, intentionally and consciously crossing that boundary. When we sin and we know we're sinning, we're not just breaking some impersonal rules. We're actively rebelling against the sovereign Lord and his word. We must understand that um, when we transgress. And then the third word we see is iniquity, and this word can be translated uh, simply as perversion. Um, this is what we usually call original sin. Um, it's the sin nature. It's uh, the sin nature that we inherited from Adam. And so David uses these three words, uh, the fact that he has sinned, he has missed the mark, that he's transgressed, he has rebelled against the Lord, and that uh, in his iniquity that he was born into sin, and we'll see that um, in the next few verses. To, but he uses these three words in the same way he used three words to describe God's great mercy. He uses these three words to describe the heaviness or the weight of his sin. Again, the burden of sin and the beauty of God, they go hand in hand. <clears throat> and then next we see David's confession. This is verses three to six. And I want you to notice uh, the pattern of his confession here. Um, he's, first he says that he's aware of his sin. And that's verse 3. And, and that may seem somewhat obvious, um, but you can't confess sin unless you're aware of it. And so we must be constantly vigilant and aware of our sin and our sinfulness. Uh, far too often as believers, um, we do not confess our sin, either because we think um, we just don't sin that often, or perhaps worse, we just don't think it's that bad. Um, and if you're not a follower of Christ, all you can do is sin. So this is for the believer and the unbeliever. If you are a follower of Christ, while we have um, a new nature, we know that we still sin far too often, far more than we'd like to admit or think. But we must be aware of our sin. 
But David is not only aware of his sin, uh, he knows how grievous his sin is. And this is <clears throat> what we see in verse 4. Um, um, it's grievous because it's in violation of God's perfect standard. Um, that's why he says, against you, you only have I sinned. Um, it's not that he didn't sin against Bathsheba and that he didn't sin against Uriah, because of course he did. Um, but it's, it's an exclamation, it's a confession that sin is first and foremost, ultimately against our holy God. And then lastly, in his confession, David confesses that he is a sinner. This is where he uses that word iniquity, and that's verse 5. Um, so when we come to the Lord in repentance, not only must we confess that we have sinned, um, but we also have confessed that there was never a time in our lives when we did not sin. In other words, David says, I was born a sinner, and we were born sinners. Um, I don't know if you have children, but I know when my children were newborn babies, I thought they couldn't be any more perfect. Um, they were, however, in fact, in desperate need of a Savior. They were born in desperate need of a Savior because of their sin nature. And so were you, and so was I. So repentance uh, begins with a plea. We see a cry for mercy, uh, a cry um, out to the Lord uh, because of the weight, weightiness of sin. Um, David gives us his examples. So there's a, there's a plea for mercy and there's a, a confession of sin. <clears throat> and if I can just put a heavier point on this, um, this is why accepting Jesus just is not sufficient for salvation. Um, for one, we don't see, and I, when I say accepting, you know, in quotes, accepting Jesus. Uh, for one, we don't see anyone in Scripture simply accepting Jesus, as if to say, okay, Jesus, uh, you can come into my life. No, the only way a sinful man can approach a holy Lord is with a cry for mercy and a confession of sin. That is the only way we can come to him. It's the only reasonable means of coming to him. So maybe you haven't murdered someone like David, maybe you haven't committed adultery, um, but any sin committed is a rebellious act against the Lord. So have you come to him seeking mercy, confessing your sin, whether the first time in your life or the first time today? The only acceptable way to approach the Lord after, uh, after being convicted of sin is to plead for mercy. And that's what we see from David, and that's what we ought to see from ourselves as well. And then in, in a demonstration of genuine repentance after his plea for mercy, um, David makes a petition. Uh, he makes a petition for renewal. And uh, the first thing we see, and this is the, the second section, so the, the second point <clears throat> in this outline, excuse me. And this is verses 7 to 12. So it's beginning in verse 7 when we see his petition for renewal. We first see an appeal for cleansing. David requests to be purged or purified um, uh, from his sin. And, and this word purge is actually the, the same, um, or it's based on the same word as the word sin uh, that we saw earlier, the, the, the general word sin. Um, and so purge literally means to de-sin me. Uh, David is petitioning the Lord, excuse me, to completely cleanse him from his sin. He wants his sin and his sin nature blotted out. He wants it completely removed. That is the beginning of his petition when he says to purge me 
with hyssop and I shall be clean. <clears throat> and then he makes a request for newness. So it's not just um, a, a, a request to be uh, purge or an appeal for cleansing, but he makes a request for newness. And this is verses 10 to 12. And, and this really is astonishing. Uh, maybe it doesn't seem like it on the outset, but when he says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, that word create is the same word used in Genesis 1, uh, chapter 1, um, when it speaks of God creating the heavens and the earth, um, the animals, and man. Um, meaning, this is the word that describes only what God can do. It's a creation out of nothing. And so, in other words, David is asking for nothing less than a miracle, something that only God can do when he says, create in me a clean heart. David isn't just asking to be made better. He's asking to be made new, something brand new, a new heart. And he's not just asking for a new heart, but a new spirit as well. Uh, the new spirit will enable him to walk in obedience. Um, and we see that um, in, in verse... Um, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 10. We see that in verse 10 that uh, would enable him to walk in obedience. So not just uh, walk in obedience, but then he also prays for a willing spirit um, further down in verse 12. So a right spirit is a spirit that will walk in obedience, and then a willing spirit is a spirit that desires to walk in obedience. And again, this is something brand new, a new spirit, a new heart that David is asking God to create in him. Our culture... Uh, of course, would have you believe that, um, and sometimes we perhaps convince ourselves that there is joy in disobedience. Um, but we see from David um, that uh, it is clear that the opposite is the case. Our society would try to convince you that there is joy in sinning and godliness is dull. But we know and we see it uh, in the words of David that sin brings sorrow and only righteousness found and knowing Christ and walking in obedience to him brings joy. And David prays for that newness of joy. And even so, even with asking for a new heart and a new spirit, something only God can do, a new creation in David, um, his petition is even more significant than we first realize. Um, and his appeal might seem a bit peculiar at first, and, and I want to spend a little bit of time here because I do believe it is extremely significant. <clears throat> so in verse 7, notice that David says, Purge me with hyssop. Now, now um, maybe yeah, you just glance over that, and, and it's, like I said, not very significant at first, But because if, if you know what hyssop is, it's, it's really it's just it's a small plant with um, spongy-like leaves, and it's found all over Israel. Um, if you've seen, if you've been there, you've seen it, or, or perhaps even if you've seen pictures of the Western Wall on the Temple Mount where Jews would go to pray, that the bush that's growing out of the wall, that's hyssop. And um, so David asked to be purged with this spongy plant. Um, but hyssop is first mentioned in Exodus 12, uh, when the Lord said, take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. Now this, of course, in Exodus 12, uh, that was verse 22, is um, the account of the Passover when um, Israelites were uh, enslaved in Egypt. 
And um, the Lord is about to send the tenth plague, um, the angel of death, to take the firstborn of the people in the land. But he first tells Moses to command the people uh, to take this, to take the blood of the lamb and with the hyssop branch, um, put the blood on their doorpost and the angel of death would pass over those houses that had the blood and spare um, the firstborn. The firstborn in those homes would not die. And in other areas of scripture, we see hyssop used to sprinkle blood on those who are in need of cleansing, uh, whether it be leprosy or touching a dead body. And so uh, hyssop was uh, the leafy, spongy branch that was used in these uh, cleansing ceremonies with blood. And, And so maybe you knew the account of the Passover, so David's request for hyssop doesn't seem all too strange um, because perhaps you understand hyssop as as a symbol uh, or a tool that was used in these cleansing ceremonies. And you'd be partly right. Um, But stay with me on this. Um, This is where I think it gets pretty good. Uh, It's all good, but this is where it gets really good. Um, The the writer of Hebrews in chapter 9, maybe we'll get there one day um, in our studies on Sunday morning, but the Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 9, verses 19 to 22, says this. It gives us a little bit further clarity <clears throat> on this hyssop branch that David is referencing. He says, For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet and wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying... This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, sprinkled with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So when David says, purge me with hyssop, he's appealing to God to be cleansed by the blood of the covenant. Now, this is important. Um, I didn't mention it at the outset, but we know what what two main sins David committed, right? Um, He committed adultery and he committed murder. Now, why is this important to understand what is being referred to by the blood of the covenant? And why is David appealing to um, being purged with hyssop, making a reference to the blood of the covenant? This is important because under the Mosaic law, there was no forgiveness for the sins of adultery and murder. They were punishable by death. We see that in Leviticus 20, verse 10. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. And then in Exodus 21, verses 12 to 14, whoever strikes a man uh, so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hands, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another man to killing him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Now again, David knows this um, because he knows his Torah, the first five books of Moses. He knows his scripture. He knows his Bible. And he knows this is exactly what he did. He committed adultery and he murdered Uriah. So he can't be appealing to the blood of the covenant uh, uh, or the blood of of the Mosaic covenant, right? So which covenant is he appealing to? Well, let's read Ezekiel 36. 
Ezekiel 36, um, the only covenant it could possibly be appealing to is the new covenant. Ezekiel 36, verse 26, tells us about the new covenant. It says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. New heart, new spirit. Those words sound familiar. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in, in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Walk in obedience. Isn't this what David is making a petition for? A new heart and a new spirit? Furthermore, we see in Matthew 26, uh, Jesus on the eve of his crucifixion, um, when he uh, institutes the uh, uh, communion, um, it's, the, it's the Last Supper, he says, and he took a cup, I'm sorry, Matthew 26, verses 27 and 28, he says, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink all of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Again, the blood of the covenant. Psalm 51 um, isn't considered, you know, your typical messianic psalm. In fact, when we talked about the messianic psalms, Psalm 51 isn't considered one of them. It's one of the penitential psalms. Um, but we dare not miss the Messiah here. When David says, purge me with hyssop, he is pointing to the new covenant. He is pointing to his Messiah, his only hope. For salvation, and there is so much more I could I could say about this section, um, but it, I think it really is the key verse in, in what many consider um, the greatest penitential psalm. Um, when David says, "Purge me with with hyssop," um, he's pleading uh, to be saved by his Messiah. He's pleading for a new heart, a new. He's pleading for that new covenant that is to come. Um, but we must move on for the sake of time. <clears throat> But the main thing we need to grasp uh, from this um, David's petition is that you and I are in desperate need of cleansing and newness of heart, and that only uh, comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the new life he gives. It's only in him that we find mercy and forgiveness of sins. And so uh, we see after uh, David's plea and petition, those were points one and two, a plea for mercy and a petition for renewal. Um, <clears throat> then we see a promise, and that's a promise to reproduce. That's the third section. That's verses 13 to 19. And um, for the sake of time, I'll, I'll, I'll summarize this a bit here. Um, unless you already pushed pause. That's the crazy thing about video. You can push pause. But anyway, for the sake of time, I'll summarize uh, this last section here, uh, verses 13 to 19. In this promise to proclaim it. And, and really the first thing I should say, it's, it's only after there's been a plea for mercy and a confession of sin, a petition for renewal, that we can then make a promise like David um, to reproduce, um, to be engaged uh, in ministry with a right heart and a right spirit. And so he makes this commitment to proclaim. And the three things he makes a commitment to proclaim, he says, I will proclaim uh, his ways, I will, I will uh, proclaim his righteousness, and I will proclaim his praise. Um, again, this is verses 13 to 19, specifically 13 to 17 for, for this. And when he says he will proclaim his ways, um, his ways here um, in context is, is really referring um, to the way God enacts judgment towards sinners, uh, on the way, Lord, the way the Lord's hand is heavy upon those who rebel against him. Um, so it's a warning when he says that he will 
proclaim his ways. Um, and I will, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so it's a warning. And then he says um, he will proclaim his righteousness. Um, in verse 14, uh, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. And, and similar to um, uh, 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 the context here, it's not necessarily the righteousness of God as in God's attribute of righteousness, but it is the act of God, the righteous act of God in justifying sinners um, when they come to him in repentance and, and seeking forgiveness. And so, and then thirdly, we see um, that he will, um, he makes a promise to proclaim his praise. And that's um, verse 15, my mouth will declare your praise. Um, because once you've been saved by the mercy and grace of God um, for sin, um, all we can do is declare his mercy and praise. And so David as well makes that commitment. And um, lastly, the, the last thing I'll, I'll point out uh, in, this, in this section, um, verses 18 and 19, we see a care for the congregation. Um, David realizes that his sin has had an effect not just on himself, um, certainly, uh, and not just Bathsheba and not just Uriah, but truly the entire congregation, the entire people of Israel. It weighs heavy on him. Our sin is never done in private. Our sin is never personal. It always affects other people. And likewise, or contrastly, when we confess our sin, when we cry to God for mercy and he forgives us of our sin and, and wipes that slate clean and cleanses us from our sin and uh, gives us a right standing with him, in the same way when we're able to minister um, to the people, um, it is a blessing to them as well. So our, our sin is never uh, in private. It always affects um, other people. And in the, our restoration has a cleansing effect on the congregation as well. <clears throat> so to conclude, um, the burden of sin and the beauty of God, when we're able to confront, um, be confronted with, and um, confess um, the, the depths of our sin, uh, rightly to see our sin the way God sees them. Um, we are more able to see God in all his glory and beauty. And David was able to experience the radiant beauty of God's mercy. Uh, he was able um, and willing to confront the depths of his sin and cry out for mercy. And like David, our greatest burden in life, our greatest problem is our own sin. Uh, we must learn to see it the way God sees it. We must not be afraid to feel the weight or the remorse, um, the heaviness of our sin. When we do, uh, when we are honest and we're able to um, confess the depths of our sin, we are not left in despair. Listen to the closing words from the prophet Micah. It's in chapter 7. It's some of my favorite words in scripture. He says, verse 18, Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And in a 
same way the Apostle John wrote regarding our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in 1 John um, chapter 1, verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Will you turn to him? Will you cry out to him for mercy? Whether it's the first time in your life or the first time today, go to him. His mercy is great. We sing the song, uh, our sins there are many, but his mercy is more. We can go to him because he is a great God who is quick to forgive. Um, he is steadfast love and he forgives us when we come to him in confession and repentance of our sin. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you uh, for your amazing grace, um, your mercy toward us, that you do not give us what we deserve. Um, as we see in David's life, um, our sin, though we may not be adulterers, we may not be murderers, uh, we know that sin is um, deserving of death. Yet you have bestowed grace upon us. You have shown us mercy. You have given us your Messiah, Jesus Christ, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin once and for all. And it's um, by his blood that we are able to come to you clean um, and righteous before you. And so we thank you for that. May our hearts be humble, um, quick to repent when we are convicted of sin. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, reveal to us our sin um, all the more every day as we walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.